Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Dana Scully, Miss Havisham, Bedelia du Maurier. That's right, it's Gillian Anderson's birthday. Happy birthday, babe. And it's also The Luminaries with David Goldberg. Today's episode is an interview with Megan Pope, comedian and thirst trap satirist, talking about their journey through the underworld of gay thirst trap culture. But first, reflections on Gillian Anderson and the balance of power. Thanks for listening. Okay, I am recording this on Sunday, August 9th, which is the birthday of double Leo, Jillian Anderson. Uh, She is 52, and she is snatched out of her goddamn mind. Okay, so I was just talking about her. In fact, I've been talking about her pretty much nonstop for the last six months, and I wanted to fill you in on this story um if i haven't already because i do think it relates to what i'm about to talk about with a beloved friend of the podcast uh and special guest megan pope um so in february i rewatched one of the best shows of time hannibal and If you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix. Let me just tell you right now, the first season, they thought it was going to be like a kind of queer police procedural. But by the end of the first season, it's already gone to like, you can feel the kind of like Grand Gignol, uh, you know, Satanica approaching. So by season two, it just becomes full Sodom and Gomorrah, like... Phantom of the Opera, Notes on a Scandal, uh, like Italian Scorpio Country nonsense. It's like the it, it just gets queerer and queerer as it goes and more beautiful as it goes so that the show's only three seasons long, but you'll get to a certain point where you'll literally be like in a gay rapture. Um, <clears throat> so the show obviously is about Hannibal Lecter, uh, the intelligent psychopath, and There is no Clarice Starling in the show because it's a prequel to Silence of the Lambs. So he's being pursued by Will Graham, played by just a stunning, pristine, twink bottom Hugh Dancy. So we have Mads Mikkelsen and Hugh Dancy. Hugh Dancy is um, investigating Hannibal. Well, he's investigating these murders. He doesn't realize that it's Hannibal who's doing it. Meanwhile, Hannibal is kind of pulling the strings. Trust me, I'm not giving away anything. This is like first five minutes of the show. Hugh Dancy is an FBI investigator with an empathy disorder. 
Hannibal Lecter is a mass murderer sociopath. So we already have a kind of bond. And throughout the show, there's this, once again, notes on a scandal kind of seduction corruption aspect going on. The gag is Gillian Anderson, double Leo, plays Hannibal's psychologist, Dr. Bedelia du Maurier. So we are in fag world territory already, in case you didn't know. So I was rewatching the show in February and I watched a scene, um, and this is spoiling nothing, um, that took my breath away. Um, I had just done my solo show. Um, I had in mid-January, I'd been at uh, a sex party where I did not like the proceedings, uh, which is to say I didn't enjoy the role I thought I was supposed to be playing. And that month I had just met someone who basically, <clears throat> sorry, let, let me fill you in on this. I just turned 30 in May. Okay. I spent most of my twenties, um, under the provide, like this impression that I'm supposed to be a bottom because of something boring. But I, I think it, there's a million boring reasons, but I, I never got to like fully explore my sexuality because when I was like 18 and shipped off for packaging, I was basically told like you're a certain height and weight class. So you're a bottom now. And because of all of the like heterosexual male violence that I've been exposed to, um, indirectly, I and like through inherited trauma and through constellational family history, I've just always like associated active sexual expression with violence, which I know is not like correct. So I took this very like sad, like, I, I don't even want to put this on, on any form of gay this is my own issues but i just like associated bottoming with like um not being able to inflict like harm on someone so it's like safety but it also put me in this state of like hyper empathy while the other person could like treat me as indisposable and i'd get super attached so anyways it just hasn't been working for a while clearly there's even more reasons than that, but I hope that made sense. Um, and like, I met this person in February who wanted me to top them. And it was like, I just got, I was like, yeah, it, it kind of blew my mind, but I was too freaked out to do it. And I just got so in my head because I was like, wait, but then who am I? What am I? Okay. So that didn't work out. I'm watching Hannibal. And Hugh Dancy, Will Graham, meets with Hannibal's psychologist, Bedelia de Maurier, to talk about this sort of power differential thing. And Bedelia says to him, if you were walking down the street and you saw a bird dying, would, you, would your inclination be to help it or to crush it? And Will says, 
my, you know, my inclination would be to help it. And, and what she says to him, now this is it, okay? Bedelia says, extreme acts of cruelty require a high level of empathy. The next time you have an instinct to help someone, you might consider crushing them instead. It might save you a great deal of trouble. So after that happened, um, something has changed within me. And I just felt like I had permission to reclaim some power that I had been denying myself for no real reason. And I then kind of, for the first time in my life, was able to like enjoy sex because I went on a roll as like the new, the premier new top of Bushwick. And it felt like this reclamation of power and it felt like all the passive aggressive um clingy codependent behaviors that i had equated with bottoming which are in no means actually equated with bottoming but were equated with the way that i would like present and perform for someone um that they were no longer necessary and that i could just treat other people as indisposable for once and like treat a grinder hookup as a grinder hookup and I don't know it was really hot and I just felt like I could reclaim an idea of like I hate saying this like male or masculine sexual freedom like I hate even saying those words but I felt like because I've so defined myself against male actors that I was exposed to who are like violent or misogynist or whatever, I overly course corrected. And now I got a chance to like reclaim some of that power in a way that wouldn't be violent or hurtful, but just like liberating. But what happens there is that it doesn't like actually it's just like binary thinking and it didn't really like I understand that it's like a part of the cycle that I have to go through to come to a state of balance which is like an ability to be vulnerable express my needs and enact boundaries while connecting on a like either primal or emotional level with someone without there having to be this like scrim of um, like policy and some sort of like a dictation of how things have to be. And so I realized like that I'm not there, like that I, I really was just kind of becoming the thing that I always said I wouldn't become for the sake of becoming it. But becoming it like doesn't really lead anywhere. Like it's been liberating and kind of life changing, but like, I'm still enacting old dynamics, but now I've just, I'm basically like fucking a, a past version of myself. So there's that aspect. And there is the power aspect, which is when 
when are you correcting an imbalance and when are you kind of getting lost in the dark side? And there have been a few encounters this summer where I felt like I've just gotten lost all over again and that I was just like recreating old patterns. And it's something that um, in this episode, Megan and I are going to talk about a lot, which is essentially, um, so you know, uh, Megan's project that they've been working on is a kind of marathon of recreating thirst traps, largely by cis gay men, from the perspective of a non-binary comedian um, and a non-binary binary AFAB comedian. Um, and there is a lot of reflection on their part about when it felt good to take this thing that these instigays have and alchemize it for themselves and when it felt um, confusing or maybe dark. So I just wanted to share the Jillian aspect because it's so humiliating that at 30 I'm like going through this phase of like am I a top? Am I a bottom? What does it all mean when like it really doesn't mean anything? But I'm glad for it because I don't want to be stuck in a position of permanent enforced powerlessness as a means of avoiding risky expressions of power and the risk that I could abuse power or hurt someone with power because it's so passive aggressive to then stay in this mode of like, oh, I can't do anything. Like, I'm small. I'm aloof. And obviously that has been coming up a lot this summer because I don't know when I went to that first protest at Barclays Center and I've like talked about this, I guess, probably a lot, but it felt so liberating to just be like, fuck yeah, what's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. I'm going to yell at these fucking asshole cops who are attacking protesters with tear gas. And for once they can't gaslight me. And for once I can actually just lose my voice speaking truth to an actual abuser and fuck up an authority power but I kind of shut down for a while after that because I was going through this inner crisis because yeah it does feel really good to like be purely on the side of good or whatever and like not be the direct abuser but that's not really the circumstances of what's happening like I'm actually not all the way on the other end of the spectrum I am somewhere in between which is that I am complicit I'm a part of the institutions that enable this abuse I may suddenly be waking up to it but like what do I do with all those lost years and it just put me in this like crazy moral ta- moralistic tailspin of like how do you self-identify like especially in my family where I so identify not as the abuser and I identify as like the victim what does it mean to like put everything and everyone on a moral spectrum and like what do I do with the lesbian cop I saw two days ago and that would then imply that like 
what I perceived to be harmful actors in my past can't be fully relegated to some like place of well some of them can but can't be can't just be identified as like wrong right good evil and it also means that I'm not like I don't want to say I'm not innocent but that I'm not um I'm not beyond reproach like that I'm on the same spectrum as they are so and now I feel like I've kind of crashed back like it it got to be too much and now I'm kind of trying to understand what makes me me and not them so what I'm learning is and what Meg really helped me understand a lot is that like queerness is about embracing the undefinable and embracing the spectrum, embracing the shape-shifting, and that um, we have to reclaim power. Like, we have to reclaim it, but we also have to transform it. Like, we can't, we can't just reenact it. Um, or else we become them we have to like use the goodness that we've given each other to like turn it into something new and I do think that that's what Megan has done here Um, so with that said I highly recommend you rewatch Hannibal and I hope you can check out Megan's work uh, on their Instagram Pope. and tonight uh Tuesday, August 11th, Megan is hosting Science of the Thirst Trap, so you can go to their Insta and hear all about that. Thank you for listening. Here's my interview with Megan Poe. So, there's we have a lot to discuss. Um, it's interesting because we've corresponded, but I'm realizing that we've only spoken face-to-face, like, at loud comedy events like at club coming or whatever so it's very uh uh anyways it's it's bizarre and exciting and all of that yeah I was realizing the same thing I was like we've seen each other in passing but um it's mostly mostly digital which is and that's kind of been interesting like I don't know if you're having this experience but it's like a lot of people I know I don't really know what our relationship is going to be because there isn't that, that, um, you know, I'm not seeing them at, at church or synagogue as it were in right. the way that I used to, which is I'm not seeing them at like comedy events or whatever, or nightlife events. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people that, and there's a lot of people that I've like set myself up on this hierarchy, like above me or against me. And I'm like, well, it's not really relevant because nothing matters or maybe nothing ever did matter absolutely yeah i i was thinking the other day about um well i think it was it was mo on your podcast that was talking Mm. about like the brief interactions we have with people as we like enter and exit certain comedy spaces or nightlife spaces and i think she was saying that she would rather like sit down and have a full dinner with them you know once a year than seeing them in passing because she doesn't feel that connection. And I think like right as right before the pandemic hit, I was starting to feel a similar like frustration. 
And so the first couple of weeks I was like, oh, this is actually amazing because I, mm. I can, I don't know, I guess actively seek out, even if it is digital, but like a more thorough, like uh, formal, you know, hangout or something where I can actually get to know this person instead of just like, yeah, seeing them, seeing them in passing and then beating myself up about like, oh God, I was weird. Or like, this person definitely hates me. Or, you know, yeah, like you said, like they're higher up. Um in the, in the comedy world or in the, you know, whatever, New York world. Um, and then online, I feel, I don't know, I guess I, it, it oscillates between my being more confident in reaching out and interacting and not needing to like always be doing bits. Um, mm. But the anxiety is still there for sure. Like, oh God, like I don't want to bother this person. Oh <laughs> my God. Yes, of course. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't change, apparently. Yeah, and uh, amazingly enough, even though we've all been rendered more or less, like, you know, in the same circumstances, and like you said, like, and it's just so interesting to think about what factors go into, like, creating that anxiety space, and then also, like, status, and who has the right to, like, I don't know, not, nobody has the right to make you feel, like, anxious, but, like, yeah, that's interesting. Huh. Mm. Like, when it's all stripped away, why is it still kind of, there's still an aura of like weird status and power? Well, I guess, I mean, you know, this interview is largely about this project you launched kind of while we've all been in this cocoon state. So I guess a part of me wants to start with like, I love what you observed about what Mo said and kind of how you were feeling. So I kind of want to start before we go into like the big hero's journey. Mm -hmm. I just want to know where you kind of were creatively, artistically, performance wise in let's say January, February, March, before things came to a halt and you had to kind of start this new kind of phase. Yeah, I, so I, I, I guess like going a little bit further back or like contextualizing, um, I love writing and I think that I always saw stand-up and performance um, as sort of just an extension of writing or an exercise and ways to like test things out against an audience in real time. Um, and so that being said, I also did like musical theater in high school and uh tragically acapella in college etc <laughs> uh, <laughs> dark it's dark it it really I'm always like it so makes no sense with my personality that I did acapella people are so shocked and everyone's like no it makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like no I'm like a cool dude like I don't uh, you know whatever uh, that's rooted in like my aversion to being seen as cutesy I guess but anyway um so I hopped on stage in New York and started doing stand-up. Uh, and I I guess I, I sort of just like hit the ground running for like, I guess a year and a half before mm. January. And by the time January came around, I was um, doing shows and like open mics and stuff here and there. I did a lot of playwriting stuff. So I was doing workshops for these two different plays that I wrote. Um, very intimate, you know, yeah, again, nightlife spaces that require a lot of in-person interactions. So um, it was very different when the when the pandemic hit. Uh, 
Yeah. And like I said, at first I was thankful just to take a breath because there hadn't been like one moment I wasn't home in my apartment at night. Like Mm. I think the first night that I was sitting in my apartment at like 6 p.m. um, and just sort of taking a breath and making dinner, I was like, this is so nice Um, and and bizarre. But uh, yeah. And then week two, I was like, okay, uh, this is, I've been inside for two weeks now. And um yeah also I was like trying to force myself to be productive right like I was very very um like okay you have this time now you have these nights so you should be writing things you should be working on things um and I flip-flopped and then week three I was like stop putting pressure on yourself like do nothing yes. for a week yes right I feel like like what would it be like to do nothing for a week and then you know the, the fourth week comes around and you're like all right I'm gonna be productive again <laughs> um yeah, it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I'm still in that, by the way. I'm like still cycling through that. This is July and I like have not learned. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to be like, that's normal. I don't know what. I, what normal. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm like flip-flopping between it for sure. Um, I think something that has surprised me and maybe it is because I'm not around people that I'm quote unquote performing for both on and off stage is like this sort of, and I guess it is also rooted in the project, uh, but like this new certainty um, has helped me a little bit with reducing my anxiety around producing things and getting writing done and, you know, working on pilots or scripts uh, constantly or like feeling the, like feeling that energy I feel like this new like personal certainty is like, okay, like things will work out and things have worked out and you have a better sense now more than ever of who you are. So just sort of trust, trust that. That's Um, amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that's great to hear. And I'm like taking that in for myself. I think, I mean, I could always sort of intellectually understand that. Um, But again, I have this like, yeah, this intellectual rationalizing brain and this visceral sort of gut brain or like body freak out brain. And uh, it's been harder to control. Like I I still have the same like, you know, whatever, stomachache anxiety feelings about not doing enough or not making enough or like working to advance my career, whatever that even looks like. Mm. I've always been able to intellectually be like, it'll probably be fine. And you work on a lot of crazy different things and they've all sort of figured themselves out. But I haven't been able to shake that like running from a tiger feeling, (laughs) you know? Um, So I guess I've just been working on like quieting that feeling a little bit. Well, this project, which we're about to describe, I think also, it sounds like it came from a place of like, you just wanted to do something and it didn't really have an end game or even like a particular intrinsic meaning at first. And then it snowballed into something. So I'd love to hear if you can just describe however you'd like, um, what, what your, what you worked on, uh, in, in core leading up to now and and how you would describe this yourself yeah um 
It's so funny because I was just trying to describe this to my um, grandpa's sister. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I... I've been on Twitter. I've been on Instagram. I've seen these sort of insta-gay thirst traps floating around, you know, getting thousands of likes, um, crazy poses, mostly like cis white gay men, like contorting themselves by the beach and slapping an inspirational quote across the bottom um, with a couple of emojis. And it was, it was right before I was about to hop on Zoom Passover, actually. Um, because even though my last name is Pope, uh, I'm very Jewish. <laughs> I like always give that disclaimer. Um, nine years of school. Another binary you're crushing. Yes, yes. I'm flipping all the binaries, blowing them wide open. Um, yes, gay Jewish Pope. Um, but okay, yeah. So right before Zoom Passover, I I don't know what it was about this this one picture, but I was like, this is so stupid and funny. And the fact it got like, or the fact that it got like thousands of likes is so stupid and funny. Um, what if I tried to like recreate this? And so I told Zoom Passover I was going to be like five minutes late. <laughs> and I like took off all my clothes and, you know, tried to recreate the photo. Um, and I posted it and people really responded um, to the, I just like posted it in a comment on the tweet where the original photo was and people really responded. And then I don't know what happened, whether it was the people's responses or my own personal, like coming to understand like body and confidence and like this new chapter of my, of my gender body, et cetera, journey. But I was just like, I can't stop doing them. Like I was scrolling all of these like hot gay boys of Instagram accounts for hours. Like when I wasn't doing my day job, I was just like, spending all of my time doing this. And I think like you said, like it came out of, I couldn't get myself to write. I couldn't get myself to really do anything creative. I wasn't doing stand up, or there was no place for me to go every night. So I just like mm-hmm. put all of that energy into finding the weirdest uh, insta-gay thirst traps to recreate. Um, and then I did 106 of them. <laughs> Which you then wrote about very eloquently in a piece for Paper Magazine. Um, and now, well, we'll get to what it's transformed into now, which I find fascinating. So, um, yeah, I, there's so much I want to talk about, but I guess I want to talk about, first, just to give us some some backing. You know, in the Paper Magazine thing, you describe yourself, you say, I'm a non-binary transmasculine comedy person, which I love just because it's so hard when people ask you what you do or what you are it's I I just I'm always like I really don't know what what so I I just love where you were like this is kind of what we're going with right now which is (laughs) non-binary transmasculine comedy person and there is I really just love the declarative of that which is like do with that what you will you know Um, so I guess I want to know like where you, where you were on the non-binary journey, uh, you know, when this project started, just so we can get like an idea of, of your perspective or your point of view. Yeah, I, I've been sort of like self 
policing gender wise, both on stage and just, I think in my like day-to-day conversations, I don't think it was evident, but I just think this like bubble of anxiety around being read a certain way, like that's always been happening. Um, I started to be more vocal about being non-binary, whatever that may mean. And whatever. I don't know what even, I really don't even know what it meant to myself a few months ago versus now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess when I, when I started the project, I had, I I had been very vocal about being non-binary and like trying to be braver about like talking about that online. I don't know what, where all of this like shame and fear and everything came from. Mm. Um, but I also felt this weird guilt about, you know, I, I worked, um, so hard to like claim the terms like lesbian and dyke in college and like be it it, it didn't quite feel right and like all um you know I went to all girls school for high school I went I was in an all-female acapella group bringing it back to that um and yeah there's just there's all these affinity groups and things in my life that were so tied to femininity that I was like immersed in and felt very empowered by um and then everything sort of just like I don't know like a wave of something hit me right out of college and I was like this isn't right um but I, I also like I guess uh kind of like confused myself and if it sounds confusing I'm sorry to whoever's listening but like I don't think that this like journey has been like linear or chronological or it's hard to say like Mm. when I don't know people are obsessed with being like when did you know and like what is so you came out of as a lesbian but that was false and then now you're non-binary and then like what's next um you know people like to label things and put things on a timeline and I I wish I was like I don't know if I should say I wish but I wish I was like keeping all of this a secret and there was this withholding since I was a young child. But I think like, I've just been thinking about how it's less like I was this and now I'm this and that cancels the past, like that cancels out the past experiences. Mm. Um, Because that's also really like hard and disheartening for me, like looking back at old pictures of myself and being like, so I was just lying and that was all fake. And I'm like, no, those were still like real lived in experiences. Okay, this is an amazing, that's an amazing point. And you just made like, you just made me kind of light up because, and and I'm sorry if this is a non sequitur and I don't mean to cut you off, but that aspect is fascinating, which is when you've gone through like a body transition and you start posting, you know, hot pictures of yourself there's like a dissonance of like, well, we don't talk about, I mean, I can speak for myself of like, there are, if you look on my Instagram, you are not going to find a lot of pictures before a certain time Mm -hmm. because I don't want you to see them. And, and so there's that. And then I also have, there are pictures that I now look back on and cringe because I think they're like too exploitative, too slutty, too much. Mm -hmm. So like there's this thing going on of looking back at yourself. Anyways, for, for me, it connects to the like 
the project you did, which is like this critique, satire, exploration of like the way that these men are posting images of their body, which is like there the the constant like hyper curation of self presentation is like really confusing and the reason like one of the reasons i found what you were doing to be so interesting and sorry I'm, if i'm babbling is like you at, at many points in this it, it seemed like you didn't have a clear footing of like what was going on and the people you're satiring i don't think any of them may have a super clear footing when they're posting a sexy selfie of like what it means what they're feeling what they think about themselves you know like there is this um this aspect of like um kind of quicksand to all of this to anything relating to like how we look back on ourselves how we define ourselves all of that you know right um yeah i think that that is like so that so connects to you know the genesis of the project and the sort of like impulsive like compulsive like uh taking of 106 and like looking for more to do and just taking the photos and sort of throwing them up there and then this weird like opposite side of that in that i was i was and my subjects most likely were like carefully uh arranging ourselves mm. for the camera and you know i i took more than one they weren't all like one take wonders um so there's a strange combination of yeah, not knowing and like impulsive, like weirdly just throwing ourselves up there and also this like meticulous crafting. Um, mm. But yeah, what the, the, the like nobody really knowing what's going on and like not, I don't know, writing the essay, I was like, okay, now I'm thinking about what I'm doing and what I was doing, but you're right. I just sort of was like, these are silly. I'm going to redo them, period. And then all the other residual stuff was like, oh, cool. Like these cis white gay boys who would never pay attention to a non-binary person in boxers and a binder, like are retweeting and reposting and like in my DMs, like sending me more to do. Um, so that was cool just because I get really frustrated with how fragmented the queer community is in general. And, um, and. Yeah. I just think like, because a lot of these queer white, it's so confusing, but a lot of these cis gay white boys, I can speak for myself, have had like either from being in the closet or from um, changes in weight and like, you know, going through your second adolescence in your late 20s, mm -hmm. you think like, oh, finally, I, I'm getting to reclaim some power that I've never had. I get to liberate myself. Yeah. And there is that aspect. So sometimes like... I assume that a lot of, and you've parodied me, so maybe I can speak for myself. I can't speak for all, all of the people, but like, there is this aspect of like, oh, I didn't realize that, not that I didn't realize that, that this was just like a stupid thoughty picture that I posted, but I have a, I have such a weird relationship with the pictures, the like, quote unquote, like slutty or self sexy pictures that I post. And the way I see them is so warped and it's so like, through a mirror, through a mirror, through a mirror of how other people see it. So it's it's almost like you were like, you're playing with like multiple refractions at once. Definitely. I think, 
yeah, it's, um, you know, there are some, there are some quote unquote insta gays like that have like, like for your pictures, I had to like dig through and find one that I thought would be fun to recreate. Um, and also like with people that I vaguely know or like that are comedians and less like quote unquote insta gay influencers, um, a lot of their pictures live in that gray area of this is already sort of supposed to be a joke, but also it is a seriously hot picture of me, but also don't actually <laughs> think I'm an insta-gay because I'm not, you know, this is all part of curating this sort of weird self-conscious brand. And even the, the insta-gays, like the proper capital I insta-gays do it where they, they'll take a picture of like them and 50 of their white friends on a boat. And then one of them will be jumping off and the caption will be like, gotta go, not enough diversity. Like there's this weird, <laughs> and meanwhile, they're like, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Call him out. Just kidding. <laughs> My friends are like, don't name names. On this. <laughs> I've written essays about him. Um... I mean, it just fascinates me the like performance of self-consciousness and then just like mm. what. Yeah, it's like a spectrum across like, you know, the people that are more like comedy gays are in the comedy world and then um and then you're like proper insta gays. But yeah, I don't know if that that is related to what you were talking about. But I also did I will say when I when you were talking about it, I started to feel really stressed because not because of you, but part of this project was like, is what I'm doing mean? Like mm. ultimately what I'm doing is like even though it is parody and satire etc like I don't know like you said most of these people have done a lot of personal work to be able to post these photos and to be like you know openly queer online and here I am like making fun of them and that being said like reading and roasting etc is like a very queer thing mm -hmm. um but also I think particularly in like the cis queer male community and like the drag race world and stuff um, uh, yeah, you know, my response to that, and this is all kind of occur occurring to me as it's going, because these points are so half-formed from me, by the way, but okay. like for me, what I think I was trying to say is I think a lot of like gays are like, at first it's like this body celebration, like reclamation, but then there is this seduction kind of, mm, yeah. of like, and the power just is corrupting and like, it goes from this like reclamation of confidence to basically becoming the dominator, I think. And, and I, I don't think what you did is mean. And I actually don't think that gay men have really enough of a sense of humor. Like I think actually <laughs> it's from trans people usually that real reading and roasting comes from because yeah. the only people who have really crossed the threshold are trans and non-binary people who can say, I can make fun of you because I'm not afraid of you. But right. I guess what I think happens with a lot of us and what I think your piece explored and what I want to know your thoughts about is like, when does, when does it go from like correcting an imbalance of power and reclaiming confidence and like, especially in your experience, do this to like getting a bit lost in the, in the attention, in the, um, in the deluge of positive affirmation, you know, when does that, how do you keep like a sense of uh, self-awareness or like 
how far is too far? Like, what are your thoughts about that? And that's a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, what you were describing is like, yeah, there was this initial burst of confidence, um, both in just like the fact that I've never posted a thirst trap, like a proper thirst trap in my life um, on on my Instagram. And like, I, you know, with all this trans stuff that's been unfolding and my like body anxiety, that makes sense. I just didn't, you know, I wear sizes too big for me to like hide things. And um, so when I first started doing it, there was this sort of surge of like, oh my God, look, I'm, I'm doing this. And like, I am hiding behind comedy in a way, but I'm also putting like more or less my full body on online. Um, and I think like probably after I did like 30 or so, I found myself just being like, why aren't more people liking this? Or why didn't this person respond? Or like, oh, I look, I don't look good in that photo. Mm. Um, and then I was like, well, that's not the point. The point is to, to, to be satirizing. And then I was mm. like, wait, is the fact that I don't look good the laugh trigger? Is the fact that I was assigned female at birth and people, I mean, all the comments are like, oh my God, she's hilarious. Like she read, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I don't expect them to check, to check the pronouns in in my bio but it did lead to like okay so I don't look like a boy and I want to mm. <laughs> and like and during all of this I, I got off the wait list for top surgery too so that was sort of all like circling my oh. brain um just on like an, an emotional level so it was a lot of like it went yeah I'd say pretty quickly like 30 30 of them in um so like I think I did 30 in like two or three weeks like I was mm. moving pretty quickly uh, it went back to that like self critique and then also being like, okay, I should um, take it in the morning, like before I've eaten or like go on a run. And then I was like, wow, I am turning into these instigates. Uh, and at the same time in recreating them and like being silly and throwing them up online, I'm feeling so much better about, I don't understand like I'm feeling so much better about my gender and in weird ways better about my body but I am still being increasingly critical like it is both if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um I don't know it's so crazy because like I often (laughs) what I am learning is that like my perception of myself and the way other people respond are so different that at some point I've had to just be like, well, I have no idea what's going on because, you know, it just really resonated with me what you said about like how people were responding and what you wanted them to think. Like, because I I recently posted a shirtless picture where I was like, wow, I've never been this out of shape. I've never like... This this picture that I'm about to post is me being like, um, fuck everything. I can like let loose with my body too and not right. care about my old. And then it the reaction was like, oh, you look great. So I've had that happen. I've had the opposite happen too, the inverse happen. And what it proves to me is like, oh, so whatever I'm wanting to see or whatever I'm seeing is not what like there's a a clear dissonance here and like i think i i really love the way that you open up about about that aspect because you are on this very separate journey um and like i I didn't know about the top surgery thing that's like a whole nother level to it right 
And like part of me was like, oh, well, I'm going to obviously stop doing them after top surgery. I wasn't even going to tell anybody that I was getting top surgery or talk about it at all. And again, this Whoa. confidence increase and this like certainty in myself and like quarantine and not, and just having more time to think about like why I didn't want to talk about it with anyone uh, has forced me to be like, no, I'm going to talk about it a little bit, whatever. Um, but I was like, yeah, part of my whole thing is like, I wear a binder in these photos. I like, I'm not like fully, fully shirtless. Um, and I also just like have this, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was like, I guess I'm just like, going to keep my shirt on forever after this and like goodbye to the thirst traps. But like, they are so fun for me to do. And there's truly so many photos out there that still need to be recreated. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, that was interesting. That's sort of just been floating around. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think uh, since I was in college, so on top of all this, I, I was a um, student athlete in college and part of my, I was a diver. And so I was like standing up in a swimsuit on a high platform, getting literally judged by a bunch of old men mm. um, for since I was eight years old. But specifically in college, I had this therapist that was like, you can't control the scores. And so focus on what you can control, which is like, you know, whatever yourself and your own, your own self-image and emotions and uh, whatever dives. Um, but I think like, what you I was thinking about that when you were speaking to like how you can't control how people see you and it does not match up with what you feel or think or whatever um but also ah it just it, it feels so good and so bad when people do respond it's so hard to parse out your own self-image and I think that this project sort of illuminated that for me that circling back to what we were talking about at the beginning being in the comedy world running around trying to sort of perform for people and try mm. to gauge like how to make people like me and how to be read in a certain way that seems to be, you know, whatever, furthering or uh, like furthering my comedy further, like uh, just, just what do people want from me and I'll do it. And I, I was just doing so much for other people. And I think mm. in deciding to get top surgery and also these weird thirst traps, it's like, Oh, because this is the first time I've done anything for like fully for myself. Mm. Like, which is a strange, but cool thing to realize. But yeah, I think I was just like, how can I be more girly around these people in these comedy settings? Because that's what they like. And then be more like, you know, boyish because that's what these people like. And what can I do to just make people, you know, like me um yeah so i i i'm curious about that because what another thing i love about the pictures from my point of view is like i really got to see your specific sense of humor and point of view come through and like obviously you talk about the way that like you gained a lot of confidence just literally having pictures of you posted and that sort of thing i'm curious about like you you are doing a lot of physical comedy and I'm curious about like how you feel now about your body and self in terms of performance after doing this and like directing and acting and posing for these things, like how you feel like your sense of um, comedic instrument 
has maybe evolved? Yeah, that's a really good question. I had someone else ask me like, who didn't really know me prior to this, like, oh, so you, do you do this type of stuff on stage? Like mm. basically get naked on stage or like do physical comedy or like facial expressions and stuff. And it's like, no, I literally until the pandemic hit, I was doing, again, I was wearing like six jackets and oversized clothes and running around and like being very scattered. And I don't know, someone was like, your comedy is like, you got dropped out of a helicopter and you don't know how you got on stage, but you're just going to go with it. And at the same time, you've fully written the entire thing. <laughs> People like are nervous, but they also feel safe because the jokes are clearly like very hacky, like written, like whatever. But I also have this chaotic energy under my six jackets. Um, but you're right. Like, I think Sydney Washington was like, I was literally before quarantine, I was asking her to help me learn how to like, pose for photos because a gorgeous part of comedy now is that there's a photographer at every show <laughs> and I was getting so self-conscious about like not knowing my angles and like not liking how the photos turned out and everybody else just seemed so confident in front of the camera so I literally had Sydney like in the studio like at the dog studios show me how to pose for photos like know my three angles and I forever and did her for that well sydney invented the form by the way there wouldn't um, be photographers at comedy shows if it weren't for what sydney and marie did that's a separate essay that i true, will go into true. like the most stunning woman in all it's outrageous um, it's outrageous it's insane but yes i did realize that i've taken 106 thirst traps but way more photos than that and i have figured out yeah, I don't know. The only way I can explain it is I felt like before this, I was very much like floating above my body looking down. Mm. And now I feel not every day, but definitely more dropped in, both in like, I know how to make silly faces now. <laughs> and I know how to like also tilt my head to match the exact angle of my, you know, thirst trap subject. I've been getting better because I literally have just like hours and hours of practice, both being like truly recreating and then exaggerating the confidence of these gays. <laughs> so I Yeah, think, it's like queer clowning kind of. It's amazing. Yeah, it is queer. Yeah. That's such a good hmm. Yeah. I mean it, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, no, no that, I, that's that's I just love that. I think if you ask me, this decade um is gonna be the return of physical comedy. <laughs> I think like Judd Apatow comedy is dead because yeah. because of what's happened and because of how separated we are, people really want to see like, I mean, it's also going to be the decade of like body horror. I just think like <laughs> the body, it's all coming back to the body as like the source. And I think like Wayne's brother, mad TV style humor will come back, which I'm very happy about. But anyways, I, I, I yeah, I, I just like, it, it's kind of amazing to see that aspect of your development. So, so I'm really excited. And, and the other thing that I'm really curious about from that aspect is like what the series also shows is like a non-binary gaze and like a non-binary sense of humor and like a non-binary sensibility as it apes gay, the gay male gaze, you know? And mm -hmm. like, 
I'm really just curious about that aspect because like that's something that I don't know that I've ever seen. Like I don't know. It's like I, I know so much about like gay cis male vision. I like exist in that 24 hours a day. Um, and it I, I found your 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 project so interesting because like it cultivated this new not not new, but this um less seen gaze of like culture basically yeah that's again that's really cool to hear that was queer clowning i'm like taking notes writing it down (laughs) what i'm like (laughs) having a rough day um yeah i think i've been thinking about this a lot as well i think when i was doing stand-up and writing and doing playwriting i was so determined to figure out how i could uh, yeah, express my like non-binary identity or whatever, my Megan personal voice. Mm. I mean, ask anyone, I drove them crazy. I'm like, what is my brand? Like, what can I own and stand on stage? Because I, I, I basically felt that if I could walk into a room, any of these, these rooms full of people that I was, you know, that I love, that I idolize, that I'm scared of, et cetera. And if I knew exactly who I was or exactly what I brought to the table, and had such a clear voice, like I could own it and nobody could take that away from me. And then I would be like less anxious and then also less worried about people being like, oh, Megan wasn't funny or like Megan was copying someone or that wasn't very strong because they can't say that if it's like uniquely yours. Um, Oh, cut to my 30th birthday this year. I was like, I've hacked it. I'm going to be this plus this and that's (laughs) my brand and I'm going to make so much. And it's like, okay okay everything is a a conglomerate of everything and you can never be truly unique and I I don't know yes I I was so determined for like a year and a half about that um and anyway I, I started to let go of it and try to just again go with like the visceral and like what I felt was funny in that moment and like you know went through the like screw what other people think and then also like I don't know anyway um in doing the photos and piecing apart what I was actually doing and realizing that I was just like flipping and flipping and flipping these like, um, y- y- you know, I don't know. I think uh, I'm not, I'm not formulating my thoughts. Cut this part out. Anyway. No, I, I my I, questions are, these aren't even questions. These are kind of like open-ended gibberish. Probes, no, I love so. it. I could talk. I mean, this is like what the inside of my brain looks like. And I think, <laughs> I was, and also thank you for helping me synthesize it for the paper essay. I will go on the record. David gave me incredible notes, but I think- Which was my pleasure and I learned a lot. Writing it down, I think is very helpful because it does like force some, you know, structure and clarity, but I think parody and satire and comedy in general is very binary based. It's a lot of like um, opposites and flipping and misdirects mm. but I think that if you can do it enough in like a kind of muddled way it blurs that and I think that because this project had so many different elements and honestly why I struggled to write the essay and, and why it's hard to talk about is because of that like it's satirizing instigay thirst traps and thirst trap culture by like you know, whatever, another layer of that. It's forcing gay men to interact with me, a again, albeit white and very abled, 
non-binary person, it's like, there's the me of it all, like my increased confidence and like physical comedy. Um, the, the question of what it's really doing, because in a way it does still like circulate these images of like, quote unquote, traditionally hot white men. Um, but then again, like I'm right beside it. <laughs> so yeah, I think with identity and with comedy, I am I, I I love to just flip and flip and like contradict until I get lost in a sort of like amorphous space and then I have to like tease out what I'm doing again. Um I'm curious, like what are some of your um like favorite kind of influential things that you either like grew up on or that like in your twenties like really changed the way that you like you know that changed your sensibility like was was there a I'm just curious like what those kind of cultural artifacts were that just so I know because I'm you know talking to you now I'm like I'm so excited to see how Meg's point of view is going to like play out in whatever they do next and whatever screenplays they write and whatever their next performance piece is so I'm just curious like yeah how, what your like favorite things were and not not to take it in too far of a Las Culturistas direction, but I'm just like, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I am curious, just so we can get that kind of picture. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot as well, because I'm back to like trying to write scripts and watch things and be like, what did influence me? I mean, I don't know how this relates at all, but I can say that, and my parents would say it too, like, the first thing that I was obsessed with was we had like a, a VCR tape of Donny Osmond's Joseph like the musical, uh, yeah, I watched it every day for a year. Like Angela Weber, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, I watched it truly every day for a year. Like my parents can't listen to the music anymore because I've ruined it for them. Like Fascinating. And it's like, I mean, yeah, I don't know as an art, you know, as a musical, as like a filmed on stage sort of, like it's it's a movie and it's kind of cinematic the way they shoot it, but also it's like very much just like a play, like it's a stage play. And then there's like the Donny Osmond at the helmness, which is to me fascinating because Donny Osmond, in terms of like bizarro masculinity, you know, it's yeah. like Donny Osmond. Talk about like confusing. Yeah. Not he's obviously like he's not gay, but there is this weird like I'm a real boy thing going on with him. Yeah. Um and of course then he vo he sings I'll make a man out of you in Mulan. Okay. Right. So that's just fascinating, but sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Continue. No, it's so real. I, I literally like I think I tweeted one time, I was like, if someone can if someone can tell me like why I was obsessed with Donny Osmond and then specifically Donny Osmond and Joseph <laughs> as a child, like I was obsessed. Like, and was it like Maybe it was just my first real like experience with musical theater, which I then went on to like be very obsessed with in high school. Um, and also, he has like very long hair and is pretty androgynous in the like. Yeah, he I looks mean, like a doll. Yeah, I don't even want to call it a film because it's not. It's like a st film staged whatever. Um, I think it was a mixture of that. I think like mostly it was. I think it was a story I knew from you know being in Jewish day school forever. And um, put in like a put to music, which was cool for me. And then like uh, 
in a really fun, creative way. I think that was like my, but yeah, that, I mean, it's not a fun answer. And it's when I was really little, but that was definitely the first thing I was influenced by. And then I, um, what else? That's so interesting. I love that. I don't have any like fun answers for, you know, middle school, high school, college. And I think part of that is because I was just like trying to do what everybody else was doing to like, cause I didn't really understand my identity. I was like obsessed with freaks and geeks. Speaking of, mm. <laughs> up, so. um, I, what else? Again, again, a lot of musical theater, which is so funny because now between musical theater and acapella, I'm so like ashamed of that sort of like, I don't know. I'm like, oh, that was so girly of me. I'm so like stupid and nerdy, but I really was obsessed with it. I, oh, but that's amazing too, because, you know, the whole culture around gay cis thirst traps is like i'm not a faggot look i'm like a real man now see like there is that aspect of like i'm not this like nelly bitch that like i know i am but like i it because there is uh, you know for a lot of reasons musical theater is humiliating but like (laughs) gay you know the the gay cis male insta thought thing is supposed to be this way of like um, okay, I can be like a man now. See, see, right. see, you know? So I think there's like a lot of links there, not not necessarily parallels, but No, I, I think I think there's parallels. I mean, in the project there are parallels, right? Like the shame of my looking too girly in something, or the fact that the last trigger was my like feminine whatever. Mm. Um and and now and also as I was like coming into my queerness just so much like femme shaming of myself, which I, I see parallels in the mm. gay community. I, I don't, again, like, yeah, it's just like, what do I hold on to and what do I want to be empowered by? And then am I, you know, am I, am I dressing this way because I, I, like a boy or whatever, again, these terms are like, you know, but uh, is it because I'm like, is it because this feels right? Is this because I'm attracted to status? Is it because like, no matter how you're conditioned, like you want to feel powerful in this certain way that society is giving power to in this like masculine ideal? Um, Where are you now in your relationship with femininity? I think it's a good question. Like, for example, right now I'm like, oh, my voice on this is very feminine and girly and I hate that. And then I sort of like interrogate like why? And then I tell myself it's okay. And so I think we're sort of in that stage where it's like, what if I did like, I don't, but what if I did want to wear makeup to this one thing? I feel like in the past and the thing that immediately creeps up within me is like, then people won't believe you. Like, I think it's this weird, like, what do you actually like, again i'm i'm starting to shed this like need to prove m- prove this to others because i've ha- i've like through these thirst traps and quarantine stumbled upon my own like certainty mm-hmm. um but it's a lot of like defense mechanisms that a lot of the again a lot of the like visceral defense stuff when i do piece it apart i realize it's like protective because it's like oh the, the, the people won't believe you you have to like pass as a bo- like you know, you, you have to like, uh, or like on stage, you can't be like cutesy and girly or don't talk about like doing musical theater or anything because like, 
they'll read you as a girl. And like, I know that that is, I mean, I, people, when people misgender, when people were misgendering me throughout the first, like the beginning of like the pronoun change, I would literally like throw up. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I am like a very stomachache, visceral person. So like my body signaling to me that that is like very wrong. Um, has sort of made me be like, okay, just listen to your body if you can. And if you can trust that again, I'm like king of flipping things around and being like, can you even trust this bodily reaction? Because right. That's that to me is like, that's the part with everything that has always chilled me to the bone, which is like, how do I know that my own instincts aren't warped? You know, (laughs) literally cut to me telling my therapist that I don't think he actually knows anything about what he likes or what he loves or what he wants or how he feels because I think it's all fake and I think we've all just like if you do like something or love someone or whatever like you just settled and decided but I don't know if like you can never know if that's real he was like so mad about that (laughs) (laughs) he like brought it back a couple sessions was like remember when you told me that nothing I feel is probably real or valid (laughs) and he was like I didn't say valid um uh, I love him I hope to god he's not listening (laughs) but um yeah it's really confusing and I'm trying to figure out how to word this like in quarantine I've started to look different and people have noticed and I've noticed and like I think I look a little more like just because I'm usually really young looking, mm-hmm. I look like a little more like traditional man right now, this month, July, 2020, who knows mm-hmm. what I'll look like next month. And it's really confusing because there's aspects of like, oh, okay, I, I feel more like myself or I'm settling more into myself, but why is this more comfortable? Like what... uh I, I, I'm just, it's very mm-hmm. difficult when you like, when you have to parse out like what is you and what is convenient and like what, what, um, what parts of you you're now, I, I think the whole thing I've learned from your story, which I'm wording poorly is like, we have to kind of correct these imbalances to like, get to a a place of stasis with ourselves Mm -hmm. but often when we're correcting the imbalance we can go too far the other way and like Mm -hmm. just hearing you the way you respond to people miss you know giving you the wrong pronouns early on like you know my my heart kind of breaks for that and and i i understand like that that feeling of like well i have to i have to purge this completely and that isn't that may be, is that the answer? You know, it's, mm-hmm. so, so this isn't even a question. This is just me sharing, like, I, I guess I, I feel um an empathy for the, the deep sense of confusion that comes with parsing out where any of us is at any time on the self-identification journey. Yeah, I think stasis is such an interesting word and also first of all when you talked about the you know I'm presenting whatever more more traditionally masculine or whatever in quarantine and this feels right but then you immediately you know that another voice comes in and is like but what does that mean right Um, I think what I've come to understand now uh through like yeah a lot of therapy is like Mm. my entire 
life, I kept myself very busy and distracted and doing a million things uh, as a way to avoid realizing that I was never going to have that stasis. Like, I think that weirdly, if I sat still with my thoughts, it was sort of an understanding that I would never be able to actually like have stillness or like uh, fit in a certain box or like be yeah. able to like breathe somewhere. And I think, I don't know, someone, I forget, I was listening to an interview. Someone the other day was like, gender is fluid in that like every single day for everyone, it is different. And identity yeah. every single day for everyone is different. So that's been helpful for me um, to like on a personal level, be like, okay, today I feel this way. And tomorrow I will probably feel differently. And that does not negate the way I felt the day before. Because again, looking at these old photos of myself, I'm like, oh, I was so sad. And I was like, oh, I was, but I also like, shouldn't, you know, I don't know, erase whatever experience I had. Mm. Um, but yeah, I really relate to what, what you're saying. That being said, the, um, the fucked up part of my brain that is like echoing back, I guess what I think people think is like, even talking on this podcast, I'm like, oh my God, you sound like this like liberal snowflake that like blah, 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 blah. Like all of that comes back at me. Like, right, at the me. gaslighting, yeah. Yeah, and um, and I'm like, what if all this isn't real and you're just making it up? You know, like all that will come in and like you said, chills me to the bone. Like when you don't realize, when you realize that like nothing is certain. Um, but... Yeah, and even with like the throwing up and misgendering stuff, I was like, oh, this is proof. And I'm like, why do I need proof? Like these weird tangible proofs. Or even my sister, who I love dearly, and you know, she read my article and she um she talked to me and she was like, Yeah, you're not wanting to look at yourself in the mirror as a kid and like getting dressed in the dark, because I talk about that in the article. Like mm -hmm. she was like, Oh, that just sort of like was an early sign or proof or she's like now look at you you're like so confident in these photos and like you know a year ago you would have never posted videos of yourself like dancing weirdly on tiktok and i'm like mm. when she first said that it was so validating i was like yes like look at me i'm coming to understand myself and like be confident and i've done all this work and then i was you know that next voice came up and i was like but why why do I need that validation? And why am I so trying to prove stuff with like tangible evidence? And that to me goes back to what you were saying earlier about how like there is no linear progression. Like it's kind of all happening at once. Like I was reading, I read, I actually wrote this down last night. I was reading this, sorry, this quote from um, Evelyn Underhill, where she says, you know, the stages of enlightenment are awakening, purification, illumination, dark night of the soul and divine union. And a part of me is like, okay, well, yeah, I've been through all of those, but I'm always going through all of those concurrently. Like there is, I can't really look at any point in my life and be like, that was, you know, yes, some points you're like, okay, that was probably the dark night of the soul, yeah. but you know, it's, um, Anyways, it, it, it's impossible to put linearly. Um, but I'm still like, oh, I need to know what my Saturn return is going to look like. And like, I still want to believe in all of those things and feel like stages. And like, again, when you are just like floating in this, everything happening at once, amorphous space, like you need some footholds. Otherwise, you're just going to like yeah. disappear into the mist. Like, Can I ask when, when is your Saturn return? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I... 
Generally speaking, when do you turn 28 if you feel... Okay, yeah, no, I just can't do math. Um, I turned 24, like, last week. Oh, wow. So you're... I think you're having your Saturn square. Don't worry about it. Um, okay, okay. That's so exciting, because I feel like by the time you're 28, we're going to be getting, like, you're, you're, you'll what be in What I wanted to ask so, about um, is, um, as this project was developing, obviously we headed towards the end of May, and the world went through yet another upheaval, which is the protest started. And, you know, to me, this project is very much, there is a, a, a big vital connection with what you've been doing to what, to the larger conversation, which is why does the white and white male, especially body, um, have so much power mm -hmm. and that conversation's obviously been happening within the queer community and needs to be happening more. Um, and I'm just curious, like it's July and I'm just curious, like, because everything is still certainly going on and, mm -hmm. and I hope it rages on for a long time, but have you had any distance um, to think about the the aspects of of the larger global conversation about race and and what you either learned or or what doing this you know just any reflections that this project has in relation to what's been going on yeah definitely um i i guess a good access point is right as the black lives matter movement started happening and also like you know, uh, resources were being shared on social media and there was a lot of talk about like taking up space and when and how and who should be, you know, um, doing what work now and who shouldn't be doing work now, et cetera. Um, I had all of these sort of like thirst trap summit <laughs> things planned right? Um, where I was going to interview on Instagram live to raise money for um, New York Food Bank. I was going to interview the people I've, you know, satirized and, and ask them Including me, which was a great yeah. honor. <laughs> I, I might, I, I may still do it um, in like a few months, but just say when. I am so curious about people's initial reactions. I would hope that on those, in those little summit discussions, people would be honest about like everything that went through their brain and like body when they saw my stupid parody, um, and then also obviously ask them like if they posted the thirst trap for somebody in particular and wanted to be seen by someone because I'm both just gossipy and also like uh, am fascinated by that element of like the fact that these are called traps and that it mm. usually is like a certain intent to mm, trap certain okay. people. Um, and I think there's a whole, there are other layers, which is like, what, what was your body perception? You know, what, uh, the picture you aped of me is like my my perception of what was going on with my body at the time. There's a whole nother thing there. So I think it'll be fascinating, but sorry, continue. Yeah. Anyway, so I had that plan. Um, obviously in May, I didn't feel that was the right time for me to be taking up any space on social media. Um, you know, just do more of the observing and learning and reflecting and going to protests and doing what I can to help, you know, educate those around me, other white people, and then just like 
you know, just make sure I, I, I'm navigating space as best as possible. So I didn't, I, I canceled those or, you know, whatever, postponed them. Um, but even before that, yeah, I, I've thought about the project a lot. I satirize parody, whatever, um, mostly white gays. Uh, and like I said before, that results in the recircula- recirculation of those images and of those bodies. And as a white person myself, like I'm right there next to them. Like, and I think that uh, I like, I have that privilege and that I'm able to do that um, as a white person and maybe get like significant, significantly less backlash because in a way, like, you know, I bleached my hair. Like I do look like them in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I don't have this like sculpted by the gods six pack, but I have been thinking about the sheer volume of both people I've satirized and photos I've produced. Um, and that's just a lot of white people (laughs) and a lot of like white masculine people. Uh, being shoved into cyberspace and no matter what it's saying about power dynamics or whatever like there are just so many echo chambers and like again flipping and flipping and sort of staying in the same place and I I started to think about like what is this actually doing Um, you know I I can I sort of nailed down or I've been exploring what it's been doing for me Um, and I can gauge what it's doing for the white gays based on their reaction or people who DM me that maybe aren't white gays. Um, but yeah, for now I've, I've definitely like, obviously not done as many. Um, the weird thing is there, there was a company that reached out to me that asked me to do them like do thirst traps wearing their product. And I had to do it by, I think the last day of June. And so I did post that, but even that felt strange. Right. It was like my weird grand return after taking like, what, two months off. Well, can we talk about that? Because I thought it was I thought it was a whole new fascinating level. It really is. I we can say this, right, that you're you're posting these satirical photos for thinks, which is how how would you describe thinks? I I don't Um, want to describe it as a as a idiot male. They no, it's okay. It's it's an underwear and like running shorts. And now they just dropped yesterday pajama shorts um, I got an email um their their underwear and shorts uh for people who menstruate is like their wording um again like the handle is she thinks and you know my little like page where you can get ten dollars off if you shop using my code or whatever right. um is also like she thinks slash Megan Pope and again Megan is like one of the dumbest names in America (laughs) and uh, very easily attributed to female people. And again, we're working through that. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, it adds a whole other level of obviously like, because I think before, and I touched on it in my essay, like there is a certain amount of like capitalism and corporate shit that is tied to instigate culture. Um, Obviously these people with bajillions of followers, like, are sponsored left and right to just post like naked photos and they get so much money. Um, like I, I work my day job, like I see the rates, like they're incredibly high. Um, it's, it's wild. 
<laughs> but I think it's hilarious that someone reached out and that I'm now doing it. But then again, I'm like, here I am. Yeah, I'm like, whatever. Through comedy and through who I am, I'm like queering the narrative again, but I'm also upholding it. <laughs> no, I mean, I just think it's interesting because it adds this level of like um, a largely women-oriented audience yeah, is yeah. now could you know that could be your next base of because that's its own industry which is like the fem the women lifestyle world or whatever and mm -hmm. like so so i just love that that audience is now in for it and i i i'm you know i'm so excited to see like how your eye and your commentary goes to that world of marketing and that world of branding um and yeah, I, I, I do love what you shared and about like the volume of bodies and of white bodies being exposed. And like, I understand you're like kind of reckoning with your place in it, but like, I, I definitely think that like the work you've done is for good because it's helping us like laugh at, satirize and question the automatic, um, dominance of like especially in the white gay insta thought world of like the white of the like white body so like i think what you're doing is like a part of the mission and and i understand like the reckoning that you're you're going through of like what does it mean for you to be like um propagating by satirizing but like yeah i'm glad you're asking those questions from my point of view i'm like oh they're they're kind of helping us take this down a peg, hopefully. Yeah, I, I just want to make, I just do temperature checks, right? With like people around me that I trust and also just random people who DM me. Like yeah. there's a couple of people and people of color um, and mostly women actually who will send me DMs every time I post one that's like, this made my day or like yet again, like, thanks for doing this. This is so funny. And I don't know, getting getting some feedback across different, you know, sectors of the internet and just taking a temperature check i just want to be careful about that but um yeah man there's something else i wanted to say but oh but your 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 mention of like thinks and the tie to like this sort of like women influencer world yeah that's such a good question and i again i i think i mentioned it like truly in a one-off line in the essay but people will send me like lesbian thirst traps to do or um like yeah, these like female influencers, or even I did this thing where I was like, if you pay me $10 and send me a photo, I'll recreate it. You know, I was going to get, I was going to donate it, or I did donate it <laughs> to New York Food Bank. Um, but, and so some, some like female identifying people sent me photos and it, it just feels bizarre to do those. Mm. And I think that also obviously like plays into my own, like, again, femme shaming of like contorting my body to, fit into this like feminine type thirst trap but then also like I don't want to be parodying women because they're already so like put right. down <laughs> right 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 so, but I do think that a lot of that world is also ridiculous and that influencer world I mean yeah for my day job I literally and I mean I'm not gonna whatever I, I DM with people who are like yoga queen of the world 39 wheatgrass four thousand dollar purse bag mm. like that's their whole handle right <laughs> and like that's crazy and i would like to sort of 
especially because I just interact with it so often, like look at that. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just excited for you to work out. I think there's a lot of, a lot of questions a lot of us have about like, what is real masculinity or femininity? What is, what are we being like sold? What are we self-propagating? And I think like your work is going to help a lot of us make sense of that. So there is no rush for you to take on (laughs) that side of the industry. I'm just very excited. I just think like the things thing is, it adds a new dimension to it. And I'm excited to see where you take it and, you know, wherever you take, whatever you take next. Um, I so also, I guess, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I was going to say, I also went after, I've started to go after the TikTok lesbians because it's its own sort of toxic masculinity and appropriation. Like there's just so much, like all of these like 19 year old white girls calling themselves studs and like oh making God. very weirdly like empowering, but also very misogynistic dances on TikTok. And they're like sexual, but they're like, definitely inhabiting the like fuck boy world of it all and I just I think it's hilarious and so I've been recreating some of those as well but like that's another world that I've been like oh look like toxic masculinity has reached the TikTok lesbian dance world awesome <laughs> like dark very dark <laughs> it's really dark so I'm just curious like um I guess uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. It's such an uncertain moment, and I'm excited that I'm talking to you because I didn't know about um, the top surgery, and that's you know that's so exciting. Um, I guess the world feels really uncertain, and you're also going through a transformation. And I guess I'm curious, like if you've had any dreams or thoughts or um or just kind of what you want for yourself next and that's such a broad question but i'm just curious yeah no i um it's a good question i have been thinking about it um i listened to the first part of your episode where you asked people a similar thing where you were talking about i wrote it down because i was like i love what you said about how being jewish like our number one heroine is anne frank famous for like staying indoors and hiding um and like we're professional like we're truly so good at worrying about worrying about the future and like basking in like paralysis with regard to uncertainty and stuff Mm. um so I did have some time to reflect on this um I think in a broad sense and in like a kind of hippy dippy, like existential sense, I, I hope to move forward in the next couple months, like just within, uh, just reminding myself of the certainty that I've found through these weird projects and this period of time, like even though a lot of change has been happening and is going to happen, hopefully on, you know, in the future, if the Trump law doesn't like fuck over my surgery, it's, Healthcare is a nightmare. <laughs> I'm the first one who's ever said it. <laughs> I've been on the phone with people for hours this week. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I, I just know it, it will happen. And and again, that seems like such a, uh, when I like take a step back, I'm like, that's just a, like a physical thing that will really help me. But then I also like diminish it. And I'm like, why is this such a big deal? Anyway, I hope that I can move through all of that and move forward 
yeah, just with like a greater sense of like groundedness and personal certainty that I've been finding. And again, that's not like attached to anything. That's just like a feeling, right? It's mm. like, oh, I'm dropped into my body now. I'm not like floating above myself as much. I um I think as a byproduct of that, I do less berating like after this conversation ends, I will probably do less of what I would have done, which is like go over everything I said and worry about what you think of me. <laughs> Classically, <laughs> yes. It's still there. But I think that weirdly with this like physical groundedness that I've been start, like chipping away at and finding um, some of those other things have gone away. So I hope I hope I can move forward with that. Um, I hope I can write and make things that feel equally as stupid and exciting as this. Um, I would love to, you know, obviously write as my day job and be staffed and stuff. But again, the future of that is so unclear right now and always. Um, and I think you've proven that you're very good at self-generating. So, um, you know, I, I hope you get staff too. I also am always excited for what you as an artist produce independently. So totally, yeah. I mean, that, that's that. just a, I, I do have this feeling that no matter what I'm doing for like day job or whatever, I will be, I mean, I like writing plays. No one makes money writing plays. Like I'll always do mm. that at night when I go home in my like free time. I, I think about how no matter what happens, I'll, I'll make all these little, yeah. Like this, the self-generating stuff is, um, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I, I think I'll always do that for sure. So where can people follow you? Oh, um, on Instagram, I am Megs Pope, M-E-G-S-P-O-P-E. On Twitter, I'm mpopetweets. Um, yeah, hopefully more thirst traps to come. I'm always like unhinged across social media, just sort of like, I'm trying to work on not just stream of consciousness dumping, especially on Twitter, but um yeah, you'll get a sense of where I'm at. <laughs> um, this was so illuminating and interesting. And I feel like the conversation just started. So I hope we can continue it again soon. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really so grateful that you did this. And thank you. Oh, thank you for having me and for helping me synthesize my thoughts in the paper essay. Um, and yeah, I'm a big fan of this podcast. So <laughs> thank you. Um, okay, well, I will talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye. Megan Pope hosts Science of the Thirst Trap on Tuesday, August 11th. You can find out more at Meg S. Pope. The Luminaries is made with love in New York City, distributed by Authentic Management, consulting producer Carly Hugendike, creative director Greg Kozatek, and music by Henry Kapersky. See you next Tuesday. Dot, dot, dot. Thanks for listening. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.